Let me just pray. Yeah, Lord, we do thank you that we can be here. Thank you so much for your love and mercy. Thank you for the opportunity that you provide uh, for this congregation to gather in this memorial hall um, to worship you, to hear from you, and um, to be encouraged by you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, stir in the hearts of everyone here. Give me the words to speak, and um, yeah, have your will in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not very good with numbers, as you can see already. Uh, I'm pretty sure Chris said you got five minutes to talk, so that's why I use such a long uh, Bible verse. It could have been more than five, I can't remember now. This uh, this reading, I, I suppose a couple of things before we start. Um, the song Cornerstone right at the beginning there um, was the song that I chose for my ordination song when uh, I was ordained about three years ago, um, which I found uh, really speaks, um, I think, about uh, you know who Jesus is in our lives and 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 how he sort of is meant to be understood in terms of that foundational datum point, that thing that we rely on, hold on to, and um, stand on. It's that classic uh, saying that goes, you can't let Jesus down because you don't hold him up. You can't let God down because you don't hold God up. You know, we're given the support. We're given the um, the strength from Jesus uh, through his spirit, not not the other way around. I, I wasn't really sure what to call this morning's message and... Um, I had a, a few different readings that uh, I feel like, you know, the Lord gave me. Um, the One here is, is, is closed doors and open arms. And I suppose uh, where it's sort of working on me and where it has been working on me and where this passage of Scripture, this Luke 7, 36 to 50, has just kind of worked over and over and over on me for uh, a number of years now is just because of the transforming message, the transforming reality of what God does to and for us through Jesus and what that releases us to be and do consequently. There's a couple of really important um, phrases, if not one significantly for me in this um, set of verses. But if I take you through the story, you'll understand that, that Simon, a Pharisee, um, it would appear has some interest in Jesus' possibility. I mean, he names Jesus as a prophet, um, or at least he thinks that Jesus is a prophet. Jesus must be, to Simon, someone of some importance. But certainly, we don't know specifically if Simon was simply just a good politician and he thought it might have been a good idea to have this person, Jesus, around for a feed. And certainly we know culturally that you did invite important people to your home to be important. Um, that's why Jesus says, don't invite, you know, your friends, your family, the people of high rank. Go out into the streets, invite the beggars and the homeless and the poor to come and have dinner with you. But this was countercultural to what was going on in this evening meal because Simon was doing what was normal. Now, into Simon's house burst this woman. Now, we know historically, we know from um, language that this woman is likely to have been a prostitute. So she was a couple of things that she shouldn't have been in the eyes of 
culture. Number one, she was a loose woman in Jewish law. But number two, she was a woman. And Jesus was possibly a rabbi of some kind, certainly a teacher, someone who ought to have been respected in that way. So the idea that this woman, who not only is a woman but she's a particularly unclean woman, is touching Jesus is a very uncool thing culturally. And Jesus should know better because, of course, Jesus is a good cultural Jew. And Jesus should know what you should and shouldn't do. And, and if Jesus wants to be the same as everyone else and, and follow the same rules as everyone else and, and encourage this system that's been in place for so long, as everyone else seems to, then Jesus should be doing what everyone else does. And that is saying, get out, get away from me, stop touching me, and, and who do you think you are? But Jesus doesn't do this. And on top of that, we have this really neat insight into Jesus' capacity to understand what people are thinking. Because Simon thinks, you know, Simon thinks if Jesus is a prophet, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he would not let her touch him. And I really like where um, Jesus turns to Simon. It depends on the translation. And Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon says, which is, you know, he's really enthusiastic about Jesus telling him a story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him five, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He turned to the woman and then he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Pardon me. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil in my head, but she has poured oil, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests in the house began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Now, there's a lot of really neat stuff in that whole um, passage, but I guess I'd like us to look specifically at what Jesus finally says to Simon in verse 46, uh, 47, pardon me. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Has anyone reading um, a different version to the one I've got here at the moment? Could someone tell me what their verse 47 says, if, that, if that's okay with you? Yeah. Yeah. New Living, awesome. Anyone else got a different version they want to sort of throw out? Yeah, no? Yeah, yeah, ESV, go for it, yep. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that. The thing I really want to draw draw our attention to is the notion that 
The forgiveness of sin leads to love. But the realisation or the lack of realisation of the forgiveness of sin equals this kind of lack of love or little love. And I guess that's where I want to take us today. Just down that track of understanding what God's done for us through Christ, what that's meant to do for us inside, and what sometimes we do to ourselves because of maybe some of the cultural things that we're trapped by, of some of the cultural things that we subscribe to, adhere to, or we've just kind of grown up with them and we do them and it seems it seems kind of right for us. It's that notion that, yeah, it's a nice idea that God forgives our sins, but surely at the same time, there needs to be some sort of restoration or retribution or, or someone's got to pay some kind of price. Or the idea that, yeah, I get God forgives sin, but does he really forgive mine? And And when I think about sin, when I think about the things that I think about about me, when I think about the things that I think about about me and I think about them with regards to other people, do I really forgive other people who do those things? I mean, really and truly, if someone did X, Y and Z, would I really forgive them? Would I expect some kind of punishment to be um, given out, some kind of price to be paid by them, some sense that they had actually been sorry for what they have done, some proof, I suppose, at the end of the day, that they had paid the price for the thing that they've done and they're truly sorry. You know, is that kind of how we process things? Is that how we look at sin? Do we actually give God, give Christ the credit for really saying to us and really doing what he says he will do, Forgive our sin, set us free, not hold it against us, not actually expect us to carry it with us for the rest of our days. There's that classic 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. So we fear God because we're afraid of punishment. And love comes in to remove the reality of punishment because Jesus has taken that punishment away. In this verse, Jesus says that because of her understanding, because of the forgiveness that she's received, she is expressing and experiencing a great deal of love. But I want to draw our attention to the possibility that if we don't recognize the power of forgiveness, it could potentially allow us to minimize or miss out on the love that God wants to give us. Because I don't know about you, but I know that in my life, there are times when I feel like I'm doing pretty well or I'm doing all right. Maybe I should say it that way where I feel like I've kind of got a job done, I've wrestled with a particular thing and that's good. Or I can certainly relate in times gone by where I feel like I've done a good job at putting something behind me and therefore there's that moment, and maybe it's just me, Maybe I'm the only one guilty of this, but you can move into a space of being a little bit self-righteous, a little bit 
feeling like you've done a good job, you pat yourself on the back, and you've kind of helped God out a bit with this job of forgiving sin. You know what I mean? Because you kind of you kind of took a little bit of pressure off God that day because you know you'd sort of solved that problem for yourself or you'd done a bit of the work for him. But the thing I want to remind us of, and the thing that I feel like Jesus is reminding us of in this this little verse is that there's not a moment in our day, there's not a moment in our day that we don't need the blood of Jesus, Jesus' full righteousness to stand before God. There's not a moment that we're alive that we are not saved by Jesus' righteousness. We are never, ever, ever, ever saved by anything that we do. We are never saved by the right attitude, by a good deed, by finally getting X, Y and Z right. We are never saved by putting whatever that sin is behind us, behind us. We are only ever saved until the end, until our last breath. And then some, we are only ever saved by what Jesus has done for us. Now that is meant to be freeing. That is meant to actually give us hope and I guess, I can't think of a better word, but a sense of lightness. I think about the Ten Commandments. Jesus is clear that you can't be, Paul's clear, that you can't be saved by the law. Now we know that if you adhered to the Ten Commandments, every single one of them, you'd be fulfilling the law. But we also know in that classic kind of analogy of a chain, if a chain is the thing, you know, a 10-link chain is the thing that's holding you between, you know, falling from a great height to to a depth that will kill you, it only takes one of those links to break and the chain is no longer going to save you. I always think about the Ten Commandments not as so much something that is going to save us as we obey the law. But I think about the Ten Commandments as this kind of list of things that shows us how and why we qualify for Jesus' righteousness or the need of Jesus' righteousness, the need of Jesus' death and resurrection, the need of the blood of Christ which covers all of our sin. Now, I don't know how you're hearing me. I'm not really sure what kind of preaching you're used to and and I don't know if, um, if I'm not kind of... I don't know, schooly enough. I'm used to teaching, I'm used to speaking to young people. I'm used to speaking to young people and people who don't necessarily have a faith. I'm used to speaking to people who don't have kind of grand theological concepts and deep understandings of Greek and Hebrew or any of the nuances that go into translation and how we understand and interpret scripture. Yes. Thanks, brother. That's great. I'm okay with that. But what I really want to drum home to us and what I really want to inspire hopefully in you is that continued 
dependence on Jesus as opposed to this kind of sometimes default behaviour where we fall back and start depending on ourselves, where we look in the mirror and say, no, you haven't made it, you can't make it, you're not going to make it. No, you've done the wrong thing, you've done too many things, you've gone past go, you cannot collect $200, you are going straight to jail. Where you have those kinds of moments in your day, in your life, in your week, whatever it is, where you believe for a moment that salvation, that God's love, that the hope that you have has anything to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. You have been called by Christ. The Holy Spirit called you and prompted you. Jesus died for you and has paid the price for you. We receive an imputed righteousness. Jesus sees you, not, you know, your sin. That is the magic, amazing, fabulous, beautiful thing about the gospel message. You know, the crazy thing that I think we miss sometimes about the message of the gospel is that it's good news. And if we think about it in the context in the context of Jesus, the time he was in, the oppression that people were experiencing, the Romans, the, 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 the culture that people are in, the good news is a freedom from oppression, a freedom from bondage, a freedom from the things that keep you down, that tie you up and that twist you up, a freedom from these things. Jesus, right now in this space, this moment, gives you, offers you, wants for you to have that freedom. A freedom that your goodness me can't earn. You just have to say thank you for it. This woman falls at Jesus' feet. Who knows how much she'd heard of what Jesus had said? We don't really know. And we know that it's not Mary. We know that the translations and the, and, and the commentaries and the, and the scripture don't say it is Mary. We don't know who this woman is, but it's quite possible that she's heard stories, she's heard Jesus preach, just like anyone in this room right now could be hearing Jesus' um, words through this, can understand that she grabbed, through the power of the Holy Spirit I'm imagining, she grabbed this idea that God forgives sin. That repentance is possible. That you don't have to be something that God loves you where you are right now. And this woman bursts in and cannot believe, cannot believe that this is a possible thing. And she lavishes Jesus with love. Now, I don't know how you kind of travel through your days. I can only kind of speak for myself. But I know that sometimes I don't feel that experience of that kind of loving Jesus. And when I think about why that is, it falls back into a space where I think the reason I'm not this kind of overwhelmed, crazy in love, demonstrative kind of love thing for Jesus all the time is because I think... I'm too comfortable tying myself up in a bondage that gives me a sense of comfort because I've got an understanding of justice. I know what's right and wrong. I know what's tolerable and what's not tolerable. I know what God will allow and won't allow. And when I look in the mirror, I know what it's like to say, no, mate, I don't think God's going to forgive that. Or I think you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z before God's going to let you back into his space. Now, you might be able to sit there and say, oh, Rich, that's crazy. You can't think like that because God's not like that. That is the truth. 
God isn't like that. But I feel that I might not be the only one that for whatever reason runs back to this kind of bondage space that says, God, I'll be with you in a minute. I've just got to get my stuff together. And God's just maybe scratching his head or, or even more deeply, Jesus grieves. The Holy Spirit grieves. Because we're not letting God give us this thing that he absolutely wants to give us for free. A freedom, a hope, a love, a release. I think about what I said earlier with regards to chaplaincy and the different environments we find ourselves in. So at the end of the day, we're all chaplains, aren't we? I say to young people and people in general at Bible study and other places like that, when we talk about theology, I say actually every single person in this room is a theologian. You've all got some idea of God. You've all got your idea of God. I'm not saying everyone's got good theology. But if you've got a view of God then and you've got a view and you've got a reason why you've got a view of God, then you've got some sort of theology going on. And that I suppose reality for us means that if we don't have a right understanding of what God wants us to know, then we will head down a path that isn't the path that God wants us to be on. Going back to the notion of chaplaincy and all of us being chaplains, the idea that we can tell people stuff is one thing. The idea that we have a message to bring is significant. But I really, really, really just want to grab everyone's kind of thoughts here for a moment. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, living with them, working with them, showing them what it meant to live as a believer and as a follower of him, a person in the way. Jesus did that for three years with that group of 12 men and women, mind you. He did it because he knew that they needed to be part of, immersed in a culture that's going to bring the heart change that's going to sustain them when they get out there in the world and are confronted by the world's views, the world's ideas and their default understanding of how to be good and bad and what is right and wrong. We need to have that exact same journey and exact same kind of transformation in our lives. So when we go out there into the world, we're not just carrying a statement. We're not just carrying a tract. We're not just carrying two ways to live. We are carrying within us the spark of the Holy Spirit that has changed us from the inside out that has us experiencing a freedom and a joy and a hope and a love that is contagious, that is what people see and respond to, a freedom that we share, an invitation that we put out there, a love that we give people and embrace people with and that people feel safe in and welcome to and that we don't instead create for them a bunch of extra hoops another set of rules, another box with all these ticks that have to be ticked off. That's not what Jesus did. 
Come to me, all those who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know, the classic thing about that story, the yoke, is that the yoke isn't a yoke of you chuck this yoke on and you're off there all by yourself. The yoke is Jesus asking you to join him in it. So we actually get into the yoke with Christ and Jesus walks with us because who's our teacher? We aren't our teacher. Jesus is our teacher. The Lord is our teacher. Scripture is our teacher. Jesus is walking with us in that journey. So we're not alone because we have a teacher. And Jesus walks with us. So in those moments where we're feeling like we're going the wrong way and you've ever played out a field, you'll know what it's like. You've ever set a new person on way before kind of GPS and, and even the bubbles, you know, the bubbles are kind of keep you straight. Anyone, everyone plough here or play out in their day, you know? You've got to keep a straight row. Jesus keeps us in that straight row. I'm going to finish with a couple of things. I just want to leave you thinking about. Firstly, maybe an idea of how powerful what Jesus has done for us is. Just to sort of sit with you. A number of years ago, I was talking to a friend and they had just gone through or were going through a marriage breakup. And she was aware of the things that had gone on and she was aware of the things that she'd done wrong and she was remorseful, devastated. She was at the end of, you know, the culmination of a whole lot of mistakes that had been made and now living with the result. And she told me at the same time, that she was struggling so much with what God was doing in this or where she was in God's story still or what it even meant anymore to believe in God because all she could feel was the power of the conviction of what she'd done. And on top of that, she was being told by people that your behaviour is going to send you to hell. And I find that just so amazingly destructive in the context of trying to help people understand the love of Christ. I asked her this question, and this question is for you, as we recognise what Jesus has done for us. How good do you have to be to get to heaven? How good do you have to be to get to heaven? How bad do you have to be to go to hell? How bad do you have to be to go to hell? Who's in charge of these things? We can't let people carry them like that because it breaks people. The other thing I want to leave you with is the idea of how much Jesus loves us, of why this woman was so enthusiastic about what Jesus has done with the joy that was in her and the enthusiasm and the excitement. When we were, when we were renovating 123, we got to a moment on the, in that journey, I should say, where it was time to paint. And we've got young people coming through painting the building. 
And this one particular day, I've got young people painting the uh, timber work in there, a little bit like your timber work here with some clear. I've got other young people painting the white, um, which is above the timber work. And I was looking at myself doing this paintwork. And I was noticing that as I was rolling the paint, the paint uh, thing down, the roller, <laughs> numbers and things, not very good. <laughs> On the edge of the roller, the paint was kind of like dripping. And I started realising that I've got to kind of catch all these drips that I'd made. And then I looked around the room and I've got these young people and I can see these drips and, and paint drops everywhere. And, and I'm, I'm going around the room and I started thinking, and I went over to the first person, I said, oh, um, oh yeah, I see that, just get the roller and just kind of run it up there. And, and, then, and then all I could think of was, there's going to be these drips everywhere, there's just going to be paint all over the shop and it's not going to be this neat, perfect job. And then I started thinking about the parable and the idea of, come to me all who are heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. Have you ever worked with a young person? Have you ever worked with anyone who is new to the thing you're trying to teach them and has no idea? How hard is it to have an apprentice? You know? How hard is it to work with any person who doesn't know the job you're trying to teach them? How much does it hold you up? You know, I've got all these jobs to do today and now I've got to spend an hour with this person just telling them how to turn a screwdriver. I was a mechanic originally, so I've got some idea of being an apprentice and maybe the frustration I caused. But check it out. Check out how much God loves this process, us, and how committed he is to it. God could do all this for us. God could say, you are not coming anywhere near this yoke. You are not coming anywhere near this field. You are not going to come anywhere near this job that I've given you. You are not going to paint the walls of this building because I know the mess you're going to make. God doesn't do that. God says instead, come. I am offering you a way to absolutely and completely change everything you understand about the world, everything you value, everything you understand about what it means to love and to be loved, everything you understand about what it means when it comes to the good and evil, in and out, included and excluded. I am going to change everything you understand about that because the first thing I'm going to do for you is I'm going to tell you that you're included without jumping through any hoops that I love you no matter who you are and what you've done, that I'm going to forgive you before you do anything. I'm going to forgive you before you do anything. I'm going to give you that because I don't want you to ever think, ever, ever in your life that you have to do anything to earn what I am giving you. This is a free gift that God gives us. And I'm doing it so you know two things. One that I'm the one that does the work. Jesus is the one that does the work. Jesus is the one that holds us up. Jesus is the one that continually forgives us. Jesus is the one that goes before us. Jesus is the one that shows us the way. Jesus is the one that gives us all the things we need to do the task that he's called us to and Jesus wants us to do it. The second thing is Jesus is invested in walking with us in the process. Jesus is not saying, come on, mate. Jesus is saying, I love you, I want you, I will be with you as long as this takes. 
I will walk with you as long as I need to. I will love you as much as I possibly can for as long as I need to till you know that you are loved, till you know that you are free, till you know that you are no longer a slave to sin or a slave to the feelings of being the bad person, that you are no longer that person, that you are a loved child of God who is on a journey of restoration and freedom and redemption and who in the process of being on that journey themselves is going to bring the world with them. We are going to bring the world with us. The process is understanding that we are changed by this journey, this love, this this thing that God gives us. We are changed. Our view changes. Our love changes. Our capacity changes. We, we are going to be the tools that Jesus uses, that God uses to bring the world to him. And we'll do it, we'll do it particularly well when we realise that the change that God wants in this world starts in our hearts, starts with a recognition that we need God, that God is the only one that can do it and that there's nothing we can do for ourselves. That we fall, we just place ourselves, we are at, you know, we fall before God and say, no more trying myself, you do the work, God. And we have the love that we talked about before as we were singing. I'm going to leave it there. I don't know, I get a bit carried away and there's so many things I really want to say but um, I want to leave you with the encouragement that God offers you transformation from the inside out that is going to be the powerful thing that God uses to bring others to know him. We're all chaplains. We're all chaplains in a space that doesn't always give us permission to share our story, but it does give us permission to be there. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that as long as we have permission to be in any space that we're in, family, friends, work, you name it, as long as we have permission to be in that space, we bring Jesus when we allow Jesus to be the person that defines who we are, that tells us how we love and that we allow to love ourselves. So go out, be chaplains in the space that you're in. Trust God that God does the work. Stop beating yourself up for the things that you can't do or the things you've failed to do. And remember that every single, this per- every single person in this room is loved by God right now as much as he possibly can love you. You can't make God love you more and you can't make God love you less. God is loving you now as much as he possibly can. You just need to take it, to embrace it, to get a hold of it to let it change you and to watch the way God will use it to change the world around you. God bless you heaps.